G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. For some, it may be easy to think that COVID-19 will be just a passing health crisis. Others see the impact of COVID-19 differently, labelling this crisis as so serious, it is truly a turning point in history. The impacts are likely to be felt for many years, both domestically and internationally. A conversation today about the changes that have come with COVID-19 that are making a profound difference in our expectations for the future. The measures that governments have used to fight COVID-19 have profoundly affected our fundamental rights particularly freedom of movement, freedom of expression, freedoms around privacy and association. And these changes are likely to be around for a very long time. A new book from 15 contributing authors, a who's who of Christian thinkers, commentators in Australia, has outlined the extent of the loss and the challenges that are ahead. The contributors all agree that government measures in response to COVID-19 have seriously compromised the enjoyment of our fundamental rights and what it really means to live in a democracy where our government is under the rule of law. One of those contributing authors is Augusto Zimmerman. He's co-editor of a new book, along with Joshua Forrester. The new book is called Fundamental Rights – in the age of COVID-19. Augusto Zimmerman is Professor and Head of Law at Sheridan Institute of Higher Education in Perth. He's also President of the Western Australian Legal Theory Association and Editor-in-Chief of the West Australian Jurist. And joining us as our special guest over this next hour, Augusto Zimmerman, welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's a pleasure to talk with you again. Augusto, let's talk about your contributors, a whole bunch of uh, very high profile, very well qualified people to address these dramatic impacts. Uh, give us a, a little uh, you know, uh, insight into those who are contributing to this new book. Look, this is a book uh, uh, published now by Conocourt uh, in partnership with uh, with the Western Australian Jurist, that is uh, our law journal published here from Western Australia. Joshua Forrester is the author of a leading book on free speech, and he has written many, many articles on the subject of freedom of speech and implied freedom. I have him as the editor of my publication. And indeed, the contributors are extraordinarily good uh, we got some of the best legal minds in the whole world and policymakers to discuss this important subject. Just to give an idea of the quality of this publication, uh, the contributors include Professor James Allen, uh, the Garrick Professor of Law at the University of Queensland. I, w- I also have the Emeritus Professor David Flint uh, as a contributor. The Pope of Free Speech uh, Academic Writing in Australia, Professor Anthony Gray, 
uh, Emeritus Professor Gabriel Moins, a former vice, pro-vice-chancellor at Murdoch University and the Dean of Law at that university. Bill, our friend Bill Muhlenberg. Who we uh, just heard from, yeah. Yeah, yeah distinguished Emeritus uh, Professor William Wagner from Thomas Cooley Law School in America and many others. It's just a dream team of, of academics and jurists, the best legal minds all over the world discussing this matter. It is really a seminal publication destined to be compulsory reading on the subject. Uh, let me just ask you, right at the beginning of our conversation here, Augusto, because some will be saying, and uh, I'll get your impression here, but in Australia, we seem to have dodged a bullet so far as the health effects of COVID-19. And we only just had the Treasurer telling us that we're not even now technically in a recession and there there is a bouncing back. What you're talking about and what these contributing authors appear to be talking about is a whole dimension that is a little bit deeper, a little more complicated a little bit more sophisticated, and it's not easy to talk about, but these are the sorts of things that are going to shape our future. Give us some insights here into this dimension and how important it is, even though we seem to be at this pre- present time on top of the health crisis and, and even coming out of the recession. Uh, look, uh, you are absolutely right uh, about, uh, about this, and uh, some of the articles address this topic more directly. For, for instance, uh, Professor James Allen, his uh, excellent contribution, academic contribution, because he writes for the spectator and others. But if you really want to have a more comprehensive insight, you definitely need to acquire uh, this book in order to have his comprehensive academic view of the subject. And he's saying in this particular chapter, that the public policy adopted by uh, the Australian government, both federal and state, they are so disastrous that these will be regarded in the future as the worst public policy fiasco of the century. And uh, he is actually saying that this is going to lead to unintended consequences to the economy, perhaps even the, the whole meltdown and collapse of the economy in Australia. And this is uh, reinforced by... Uh, David Flint's uh, article where he uh, makes it very clear that um, the Australian government's response to the virus uh, should involve more, a more mature uh, and a sound judgment. It's not really what uh, took place because there was no attempt to minimize the um, violation of the rights of the people. And he says that the response has been a disaster, that's the word that he uses, that will cause an enormous cost to the economy, to the finance of this country, and ultimately to millions of Australians who even are yet to be born. Let's talk about where this disaster really has unfolded. And as you say, there's been a set of decisions made which ought to perhaps been different in some ways. Uh, So when we talk about the wider problems that come from the government's decisions, this is where we're talking about the crisis, aren't we? Because uh, things like 
Home confinement, and uh, those listeners, especially those in Victoria and many throughout New South Wales and uh, wherever there's been outbreaks, you know what it is uh, to have been home confined. Uh, The idea of job losses, well, unemployment is still dramatically high. The financial ruin that's come to so many businesses and so many businesses that are functioning right now are trading in insolvency and may not survive the next 12 months. The drug and alcohol problems that have eventuated, the domestic violence that has increased and the family breakdowns that are the result of what's happened with these sorts of decisions and then not to mention the host of mental and physical illnesses. Uh, these are the sorts of things you can identify and you can pinpoint there. Those are the, those are the uh, ramifications of decision making. Is this the sort of thing that your authors are actually taking and they're saying, well, there could have been different decisions, there could have been different outcomes here? Yes, absolutely. And not only that, but it seems that this is unfortunately uh, an epidemic of uh, uh, oppressive behaviour on the part of the authorities. And it's not only uh, exclusive to Australia. Uh, We have contributors from uh, other countries, including Poland and Italy. So uh, they would confirm that um, we are not uh, the only ones who have governments that um, act in a way that perhaps uh, will uh, lead to unintended and, and terrible consequences to the society at large, and it's already happening. Uh, but this book, uh, as I say, uh, it's a um, uh, collection of excellent articles uh, by the best academics in the field. Uh, they uh, all agree, these academics, most of them emeritus professors, that um, the COVID pandemic is indeed a turning point in, in our history. And because of these uh, terrible oppressive measures adopted by the government, the impact will be felt for many years um, in this country. Uh, These measures, some of them will have a profound effect on our fundamental rights, as you have mentioned, Neil. And you mentioned freedom of movement, expression, association, uh, and so forth. And that that will happen and will continue for a long period of time. It's uh, almost like to live in in a totalitarian communistic country when uh, we are prevented from uh, traveling interstate and you have a a dictator here in Australia who closed the borders, even prohibiting people to travel to other states where there is no incidence of the virus. Very soon, the economy was not selling itself uh, the terrible consequences of this dictator that we uh, have in Australia that have enacted legislation that increases dramatically the power of his uh, personal, uh, the authority of the Premier at the cost of basic principles of parliamentary government. No doubt listeners will pick up the terminology you're using here, Augusto, and uh, reference to the West Australian Premier and this idea of uh, calling Premiers dictators. And, and of course, that's what they're calling the Premier in Victoria, Dictator Dan. And these sorts of terminologies, and they might be inflammatory, but, uh, you know, where there is... Uh, the sorts of, you know, where there's uh, smoke, there's fire. There are instances in our premiers uh, where they are taking perhaps more power than they are constitutionally allowed. Does this, is this where your, uh, you know, a lot of legal thinkers in your new book, is this where they're taking aim? The fact that these premiers have taken so much power, much more than they ought to. Yes, 
Yes, that, that's that's one of the main issues that uh, I can uh, identify. And uh, I must say to you that uh, uh, we have the precedent in the past of uh, of uh, uh, govern, governments and, and rulers who adopted similar measures. And these uh, measures, uh, initially, they were uh, promised to be only temporary. But the point with these emergency powers is that they don't have an expiry date. And the premier here in West Nelson has adopted two laws, has passed two legislations that basically undermine uh, parliamentary government here in Western Australia and increases dramatically his power at, on a personal level with the assistance of these so-called health experts. Uh, he had even the guts of refusing to meet with the premier of South, South Australia, alleging that um, it would pose to him a health risk. That, this is very uh, uncivil and very impolite. Uh, we are facing this real serious problem of uh, rulers pretending to be uh, on the pretense of fighting the virus, acting in an utterly uncivil and authoritarian fashion. And, uh, of course, no authoritarian regime starts on, uh, and implements its oppression in one single day. This takes time to occur, and it is actually what uh, uh, led uh, an Irish politician in the 20th, 19th century, better saying, to say that the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, because we, if you do not pay attention, there will be a lack of a culture of legality and an appreciation for uh, the rights and freedoms that we have inherited from our for, for, uh, forefathers. And this is when the government started to be overconfident and adopting as a result policies that will inevitably corrupt uh, our system and undermine the rule of law in the process. Augusto, ordinary Aussies don't know what the law is and uh, they're not constitutional law experts. And so uh, we rely on people like yourself who can have great insights into these things the fact that we live in a democracy, isn't that a safeguard because it gives the people an ability to hold leaders to account where they've overstepped the mark? And I suspect here that people are likely to be gracious because we've never been this way before. What are your thoughts about whether the leaders should have known better before making these sorts of decisions that overstep and overreach and, and, uh, and get very authoritarian? Well, look, uh, there's a difference between having an elected uh, regime and having a normal functional democracy. Uh, what we can see, and, and Samuel Huntington uh, was very prophetic about this, is that if some if elections are, are to be uh, held in certain uh, cultures, uh, the outcome is not necessarily uh, going to lead to the protection of fundamental rights. Uh, if the majority is unaware of the necessity of protecting the rights, including to the minorities, elections are not going to solve the problem of governmental oppression. So it's very important for the Australian citizens, after so many years of brainwashing and left-wing indoctrination, to actually start to acknowledge the necessity of having a proper system of checks and balances in place which means that the um, basic rules of the game uh, derived from a system of constitutional government must be respected and understood by the population as a whole. But if you try to exchange the idea that you have um, a need for 
these rights to be protected and um, exchange these for security, you end up not having security because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And all your rights and freedoms that you have inherited, as I mentioned, from our forefathers, they will be entirely destroyed and undermined. We are absolutely taking the path that leads to tyranny. And uh, these draconian measures uh, adopted by our political elites, uh, they are done under the allegation that this is about fighting the coronavirus. But if you shut down the economy for many months in such a desperate attempt to fight against this virus, the unintended consequences will be terrific, terrible, better saying. And it will lead to, as I say, unintended consequences in terms not only of the undermining of legality and the rule of law, but also at the cost of um, lots of pain and suffering as derived from, from the increase in the suicide rate and many other uh, problems that will occur, including unemployment, as you mentioned, and um, domestic violence, the breakdown of the family, and all other in unintended consequences derived from this uh, uh, governance by decree. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Professor Augusto Zimmerman. He is co-editor, a new book out called Fundamental Rights in the Age of COVID-19. Augusto, let's spend a few moments just talking through, we'll, we'll talk about some of the priorities. There's so much to talk about in the book, but there is one contributing editor, uh, contributing uh, author rather, Professor Anthony Gray, who has made some contribution around the idea of borders uh, that have been closed, the restrictions and their constitutional validity. Uh, what's his contribution and, uh, and what does that mean for everyone listening today? Well, look, it, it means a lot, and I thank you for uh, mentioning his uh, outstanding contribution. Uh, just to let you know that Anthony Gray is a professor in Queensland of law and the head of a law school. Uh, but more importantly, uh, he is the Pope of freedom of speech, and he has written a book called Freedom of Speech in the Western World, which is a, a, an amazing book. It's very much uh, compulsory reading for those who want to understand uh, relevant case law in regards to uh, the extent to which uh, free speech is so uh, protected or not protected, better saying, in places such as the United Kingdom and Australia. But uh, what Anthony Gray did, being the expert also on constitutional law issues, especially coming from a point of view where freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedoms in general are considered to be very important. Professor Gray then wrote this article about the border restrictions and Section 92 of the Australian Constitution. And the article considers whether, uh, especially the Western Australian border restrictions implemented here in response to the COVID uh, virus uh, is um, consistent with the Australian Constitution. And he makes such a compelling case that it would be impossible for the High Court uh, to actually uh, disagree. Uh, they are facing a real problem because the courts sometimes they act in a political fashion and not really upholding the Constitution as it should be upheld. But if they read the article of Professor Anthony Gray, the High Court judges will learn that indeed uh, Section 19 of the Constitution uh, makes it very clear 
that uh, people have the right of freedom of movement. And it is really a violation, a basic violation of fundamental rights to have a father or a mother who needs to work interstate being unable to return to his children and to his or her uh, spouses. Uh, I just find it really despicable that feminists have been set apart and separated because of a mild, mild virus that can indeed cause a, a health risk, but the arbitrary measures are going to cause far more damage to the social fiber and also to families than uh, other measures could do if they were taken in a more proportional and less radical fashion. So I... these measures are arbitrary and they are unconstitutional. They violate the Constitution and they actually corrupt the whole idea that this is a country where people should have the right to cross borders freely. That was the intention of our founding fathers, and that's the intention that is behind the creation of the federation movement in Australia in the 19th century. So we are one nation, one federation. Uh, there might be various stra- states and territories, but uh, but governments then taking the uh, the power then to close the borders uh, may be unconstitutional. I guess you can do all sorts of things that would be, in some ways, still allowing open borders, even if you put conditions on on people. And, of course, you know, the idea of quarantine uh, or 14 days in isolation, those sorts of things would have still kept borders open, but would have actually uh, given people still the freedom. So when you're talking families, I mean, we've all got families, and so many of us have families interstate. We haven't been able to see them. There's been sickness. There's been deaths. Uh, there's been marriages. There's been all sorts of things that people have been prohibited from participating in. And what you're saying here and what your contributor is saying is that uh, that, that should never have happened. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think this uh, is very much well d- d- discussed and addressed by uh, the contribution of uh, Gabriel Moyes, uh, Emeritus Professor of Law at the University of Queensland, and uh, he used to be the Garrick Professor of Law. And then uh, we were fortun- fortunate enough to have James Allen step in when Gabe became the Dean of Law at Murdoch. And then uh, he is now a Marist Professor in Queensland again. I just want to say that uh, in his article on the role of the state in the protection of, uh, of public health, he talks about the problem that he characterizes as extreme restrictions of fundamental rights and also uh, as a result a version of a paternalistic government where the government feels that they can control, and the the rulers of course, they can control every single aspect of our lives and as a result creating what uh, Professor Moyes describes as deleterious effect on the individual and basic rights of the people and also having an consequence for the protection of their health, because people who will have their uh, rights, fundamental freedoms, including of movement restricted, that will have inevitably these uh, consequences to the health of the person. We are going to see an increase in heart, in heart diseases, an increase in the suicide rate, thanks to these measures that make people more distant from one another and also unwilling to be doing uh, proper and healthy exercises because they are confined in uh, uh, behind closed doors and they cannot really have a healthy and normal lifestyle as a result. Then what? 
Augusto Zimmerman, before we move on, because there's lots of things to talk about and uh, coming back to some of these serious things that are going to affect us for many years, but uh, there's a call or two we can take. Let's take a call, first of all, uh, from Lawrence. Lawrence is on the line from Perth in WA. Lawrence, welcome along. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, mention's been made of governments prying into our lives. Uh, could you perhaps add to this in respect to the apparent restrictions, even on prayer, with the Victorian government's spill on conversion therapy? Well, Augusto, is there a connection to what's happening in Victoria as to uh, the COVID issues? Uh, there, there is indeed, and uh, the governments are taking this as an opportunity to implement some measures that are also increasing the problem of uh, uh, fundamental rights being uh, entirely uh, undermined. And you can give, I can give an example, for instance, of New Zealand, where the Prime Minister of New Zealand introduced one of the worst uh, abortion laws in New Zealand, even to the point of uh, some people claiming that this uh, borders to uh, uh, the legalization of infanticide, uh, because, of course, the baby can be killed uh, outside the womb if the abortion operation is not entirely successful. Regarding this problem with uh, uh, the, the persecution of Christians in Australia, indeed we have uh, in Victoria the problem uh, being uh, very visible now as a result of the fact that um, they have just about in, uh, they are about to introduce very draconian laws prohibiting people even to pray for those who want to be assisted in this regard, which tells me that uh, there is no real freedom in, in Victoria, and they want to impose an agenda, even at the cost of people not having the right to make a personal decision regarding to their uh, gender uh, preferences. Uh, we are having the same problem here in Western Australia, where we have even a couple whose uh, child was removed from the family as a result of the fact that she, uh, being only a child, wanted to undergo a gender reassignment. Uh, the child was literally kidnapped from the family because the family is a family of a Christian couple. And the Christian couple opposed uh, the fact that the child uh, was in a very early age of uh, stage of her life, that she should uh, perhaps not have this sort of uh, uh, imposition of these uh, uh, measures because, of course, the the child might regret in the future uh, uh, after uh, this, the surgery goes uh, that she shouldn't have done what she did. So it's uh, the the rights of parents are being violated in Australia, and the rights of Christians are being violated in Australia by governments that actually have no regard for. Uh, the rights and uh, individual choices of people. Okay, well, Lawrence, uh, under cover of crisis, authoritarian governments take advantage. Uh, Lawrence, thank you so much for your contribution. Let's take another call. David is on the line, also from Perth. David, welcome. Yes, hello. Um, uh, good morning. I've got um, good morning. five po rapid points I'd like to just um, go to you. There's a lot of oppression from all this, yes, and there's a lot of um, terrible things happening, and it's really uh, informative what you're talking about. Um, but we need to offer hope in the situation. Um, it's, it's very overwhelming to a lot of people hearing all this coming through, but they also need hope, and I want to offer that hope this morning. But um, the first point is we, we need to wake up from the rollover culture, which has uh, engulfed us for, for decades, 
The second one is that point Augustine made is the cost of freedom is eternal vigilance. vigilance and that's the soldiers owed on every memorial throughout the country. That through, we come through Anzac Day and Remembrance Day. Um, so that's something we really need to take on board and that's something that is fundamentally um, Christian and, and uh, even um, it's a... Uh, David, uh, let's, uh, let's just deal with uh, the first point you make and uh, the need for Australia to wake up from a rollover culture. I wonder, Augusto, uh, do we have a rollover culture? Have we given up our freedoms so easily uh, that governments have found it very easy to uh, implement an authoritarian <laughs> style of governance? Uh, what are your thoughts here? Well, look, uh, I have even written a whole PhD thesis on the subject. Uh, it was uh, regarding the uh, uh, extra-legal uh, conditions for the realization of the concept called the rule of law. Uh, the idea that we have a, a constitutional government, the rule of law, it, it depends as much on the social, cultural, political environment as it depends on a matter of uh, having good laws and good good constitution. Uh, we might have these laws, but the laws might uh, fail to be taking hold if uh, we are not aware of uh, the fact that we have indeed as a result of common law, of a common law tradition, and also uh, the tradition of constitutional government in this country, uh, the right to uh, be protected from arbitrary governments. But this uh, uh, institutional framework and these laws, they are not going to be effectively uh, protecting us if we have uh, forgotten to develop what I describe as a culture of legality and a culture of respect and appreciation for our human dignity and our rights and freedoms. Uh, I believe that what's happening in Australia is that we are starting to become too unaware of the importance of control uh, arbitrary government by means of establishing uh, checks and balances and respecting our constitution. I think many many Australians have no idea that the constitution actually created this country because uh, prior to the enactment of our constitution, what we had were uh, different colonies uh, uh, subject to the English crown. But after that, we were established as a nation as a result of this document that has been very useful for the uh, achievement of economic, social, and political prosperity. But due to the left-wing indoctrination in schools and the national curriculum, for instance, we are undermining this tradition and we are forgetting who we are as a result of postmodernism and cultural relativism. Okay, David in Perth, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. Let's talk about the culture for a moment here, Augusto, and how we might feel about the idea of a rollover culture and the wider problem that comes from government decision-makings, because I'm sure that lots of people who were confined to their homes were doing that for the good of the state. We're doing that for the good of the nation. Uh, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to stay confined, just like the government said I should. It's harder when we get to job losses because you lose your income uh, to say that I'm going to do that for the good of the state. It's harder to get to uh, that person who's in business, who's suffered financial ruin because of these decisions, 
uh, to say that I'm doing that for the good of the state. Or people who've got drug and alcohol problems that have been exacerbated, like those with domestic violence in their family and the breakdowns and things that have happened over this past year. Very, very hard to be, uh, you know, uh, to say that this rollover culture is something that we should all keep on going with. Somehow or other, you've got to draw attention to those things and, and not roll over and ask the right questions. I'm sure there's a respectful way to ask the question but uh, without getting nasty uh, but uh, this rollover culture certainly is something that's bringing about all sorts of dreadfully bad effects Augusto. Well the, pro- the problem is that the narrative is built on the fact that uh, we are supposed to be uh, all together on this but uh, the bureaucratic sector uh, in conjunction with the political elites in this country, they haven't made any sacrifice whatsoever. I haven't seen the prime minister cutting off uh, his salary or reducing the salary that uh, he receives on a yearly basis. Uh, the point is that um, uh, people have been made making lots of sacrifice. And uh, if you think about uh, business, the business sector, uh, so many small businesses had their businesses entirely destroyed. But the government sector has been left intact. Not only that, but it seems that in some areas in the government, including the ABC, uh, or media network, uh, government-owned, there will be no uh, salary cuts whatsoever, but rather salary increases, actually. So when you talk about, uh, in terms of uh, sacrifices, uh, we are actually killing the small business sector in this country. And this is one of the reasons as to why uh, we are going to see uh, many more deaths by suicide as a result of desperation of people who have lost every single aspect of their lives, their livelihoods, as a result of this disproportionate destruction of small business by these lockdown measures and other measures uh, relying or based on governmental uh, action. So we have to be careful about uh, this idea that everybody will suffer the consequences of lockdown measures because some people actually benefit uh, financially even at the expense of others' misery. Okay, so you've got businesses gone to the wall, you've got entire livelihoods destroyed, and you've got the people who are in control having made no personal sacrifice at all. And so people will feel a little aggrieved by that. Is this a part of what you were talking about, Augusto, the idea of a paternalistic government, a controlling government, rather than a serving government, and uh, I might just uh, dive in here with the idea uh, that there is a biblical model of governance, and this is how Australia was built, that servanthood for leaders. Uh, Of course, our leaders in Australian public life are called public servants, and that's a Christian-founded terminology. And you've got Jesus and the way that he would talk about that, saying the greatest among you should be the greatest servant. Are we seeing that the leaders in our nation are not uh, in any way looking like the way that the foundation might have looked in the way we talk about leaders of a nation? Uh, I think you're totally right. There, there was never an emergency that could justify authoritarian measures such as those that uh, politicians have adopted. And uh, this is... Uh, 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 This leads to, uh, in my opinion, uh, at least I have this impression that some of them are having what we call 
a sense of self-righteousness as a result. They, they actually wanted to show to the population that they are being so uh, willing to tackle the issue that um, the concern for uh, taking a holistic approach to this matter is not really uh, being taken into consideration. Uh, so the cure might be then worse than the disease as a result of these um, unreasonable and immoderate measures. And that reminds me, since you're referring to our biblical worldview, of the um, uh, remarks uh, uh, by that uh, apologist, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, uh, of course, wrote uh, uh, Mere Christianity, God in the Dark, and many other uh, amazing uh, Christian books. And he says in one of these books, in From Strong is God in the Dark, that of all tyrannies, a tyranny that is exercised for the good of its victims, may be the most oppressive. Because those who uh, do uh, torment us, as he mentioned, for our goodwill, will torment us without ceasing, because they think that they are doing this uh, with the approval of their conscience. So that's what is happening. And that reminds me of the objection made by the great John Locke, uh, the founder of classical liberalism in England. And he was very clear that the justification for government is based on the preservation of our inalienable, God-given fundamental rights to life, liberty, and property. And Locke had the main concern. Uh, the main concern of Locke was the elaboration of this Christian philosophy to underpin, underpin what is now considered to be our basic fundamental principles of constitutional democratic government in the West. Well, okay, there's lots in what you have just shared there and uh, listeners might want to come back and listen again on a podcast a little later on this afternoon. Augusto, let's touch on another area which is so absolutely directly connected with every person who's listening to our conversation today. You mentioned the suicide rate and how these things are exacerbated because of government decision-making, but your contribution in the book is around the health consequences, and I imagine that's to do with the fact that, uh, you know, you're afraid to go to the doctor, afraid to get into hospital because, you know, you're not being tested, you're not getting your regular health checks and more people are dying of heart disease and all sorts of other things that are coming as a result of these as well. Is that the sort of thing you deal with, health consequences? Yes, it is indeed, Neil. This is one of the aspects of my personal contribution in this uh, seminal book. Uh, others have, before I go to my own opinion about this, I must say that there are other uh, um, contributors that um, address the similar uh, similar issue. For instance, uh, Rocco Locoiano, or Loyocano, better say, uh, he's uh, a lecturer, an excellent uh, uh, senior lecturer at Curtin University. And Dr. Loyocano uh, has uh, an excellent, excellent article entitled The Dictatorship of the Health Bureaucracy. And uh, when he says uh, in these uh, articles that recent events are demonstrating that health officials uh, are enacting policies that will have an enormous control over our lives, including uh, as a result of this control, some serious implications to the principle that we say in law of informed consent, which is fundamental in the administration of medical treatment. And in conjunction to this article, you must read the first article in this uh, book uh, by Professor Rex Ader, 
professor uh, from leading academic in New Zealand, and he says that the courses that are taken by or adopted by uh, the, by the governments uh, are having unintended uh, consequences, and that um, the approach taken by these uh, authorities uh, will have uh, a consequence that will be disastrous to the society. When it comes to my own uh, opinion on the subject, I indeed have mentioned a series of factors that uh, must be taken into account, including that, according to the official data, there is an increase in the children suffering from mental health conditions. There is a health crisis in this country. And uh, and you have in Victoria thousands of children uh, consulting or approaching kids' helpline uh, and asking for help. The suicide rates are forecast to rise, by, I think, uh, up to 50% uh, in this year particularly among uh, young young Australians, uh, you know, these are between uh, 15 and 25 years of age. Well, when we think of a health crisis in children, uh, 50% rise in suicides, we sometimes detach those sorts of figures from the policies that governments are setting and in relation to the crisis that's come with COVID-19 we we tend to think that uh, well those things must be separate those things were happening before but when those things are predicted to or are actually uh, able to be identified as having increased and then you can link that to the decisions that are being made interesting isn't it because when we talk about the health bureaucrats we might hope that there is some level of balance. And I'm just hearkening back to a conversation we had some months ago, uh, Augusto, with regard to the idea that uh, when the the premiers have been consulting their health uh, bureaucrats, the, you know, the health officials that are heads in each state, uh, the suggestion that the suggestion that somehow or other there needed to be actually a, a legal and a constitutional person in there and perhaps even a pastoral-style person in there to bring some sort of balance to what sort of decisions are being made. Yeah, absolutely, and also to uh, have a health experts to take uh, this holistic approach uh, to the um, uh, crisis. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, in Sydney, there is a uh, Sydney University's uh, uh, Brain and Mind Center, and um, and supported by the Australian Medical Association, these world-leading researchers are predicting that the impact of these uh, government measures, both federal and state, will result in at least 1,500 Australian deaths uh, a year. 1,500 Australians dying a year over the next five years, which is at least, uh, I would say, five, six times more deaths than the supposed uh, deaths caused by the, the coronavirus. Another thing is that uh, Professor Hickey is a former mental health commissioner, and he's saying that um, the government's uh, answers to the pandemic could rise to um, the deaths to about uh, 4,500 people, where especially youth suicides making up the most of, uh, uh, of these expected deaths. And he says that he has um, devised the government, but it fell on deaf ears. So the prime minister and the state territory leaders, they have uh, uh, been approached by these uh, academics and leading uh, professionals, health professionals in the field, and they were not listened. 
So which makes me uh, feel very suspicious of what kind of help a device they are taking. Yeah. And I imagine that uh, a little aside here, uh, with encouragement to people to get back into a regular routine of health checks, and just to make sure you're getting those regular checkups and particular times in your life that those become more and more important to get back to your local doctor and to have those things undertaken so that your health can be maintained rather than be put off by the ideas that there are rash decisions that have been made. Let me just reflect on some of the responses, Augusto, to our Facebook question today. Uh, with listeners and their response to the question, do you think Australia will be able to return to pre-COVID freedoms or are those freedoms gone forever? Well, uh, there's some responses. I'll just rattle through some of these here. Uh, We've got Ian who says, I pray we get our freedom back, but also realise we are in the end times. Uh, Darren says, yes, if they know their 1901 Australian constitutional rights. So, yes, Darren's optimistic. Yes, there will be a return to freedoms because we have a constitution. There's John who says, considering COVID is still rampant overseas and the real issue, it appears Australia will always be on its toes. Being normal again seems unlikely. And Stuart says... If the people keep their heads their heads in the sand and do nothing, the governments will keep on taking away our freedoms and bringing in what he calls satanic laws. So to answer the question, no, we will not return to pre-COVID freedoms. And just one more, Sue says, I don't think Australia or the rest of the world will be the same again. Our only hope in all this is Jesus coming soon. Uh, did anything, anything stand out in those comments, uh, Augusto, that you'd like to uh, to pick up and comment on? I think it's very important to consider that um, Jesus is very clear uh, that we have to read the, or understand the times and the signs of uh, of the days uh, where we live. So there is the sign of the times. But at the same time, uh, he was very clear that only the Father knows when, uh, when he is returning. It's none of our business to be predicting about his return, but what we have is the moral obligation, uh, the mandate given by the Lord to be salt and light. I wouldn't expect anything from governments that are not properly um, overseen and, and, and watched over by the, the people uh, to be doing the right things. Because, as I say, and I like to say as a constitutional lawyer, indeed, uh, power corrupts. And then if they feel that they have absolute power, uh, the power will be corrupting them absolutely, as Lord Acton uh, so famously stated. I wouldn't expect any, anything different coming from our ruling elites, but I would expect that our people will react and we will uh, tell the authorities that these uh, authoritarian measures are unacceptable and that they have to abide to the law as anybody else. One of the principles of a constitutional tradition is the equality of all before the law. And I do not like to see arrogant politicians telling us what we have to do in every single aspect of our lives, because this is going to cause us a very to pay a very, very heavy price indeed. And during this uh, virus, I can tell you uh, there are countless people losing their jobs, 
losing their livelihoods. And I'm not going to be silent about this as anybody else who has real compassion. And uh, we'll have to acknowledge that we have to speak the truth to the power, uh, the powers in place, and to acknowledge our tradition. That is a tradition of lawful resistance against political tyranny. Okay. Well, Augusto, our time is up. Uh, Time flies by. Uh, We're to remind our leaders that they are elected by the people and that they are under law themselves. Uh, Augusto Zimmerman has been our guest through this past hour. He's co-editor, along with Joshua Forrester, of this new book we've been talking about called Fundamental Rights in the Age of COVID-19. And sometimes people say, where do I get some detail about some of these deeper issues? Well, this is one uh, you probably need to uh, take your time reading it. Uh, It's a little bit more like a law journal than it is uh, an ordinary uh, novel that you might read, but it is certainly one that will be very informative if you get a hold of it. It's called Fundamental Rights in the Age of COVID-19. It's only just been released, Augusto. Where's the best place for listeners to get a hold of their copy? They can access the the, the book uh, having the the capacity to order a copy of the book uh, by visiting Cornell Court Publishing. Uh, As I mentioned, this is a publication of the Western Australian Jurist in conjunction with this uh, publishing house based in in Queensland. So I repeat, Cornell Court Publishing. And you'll find uh, uh, a website where the book is available for purchase. Okay, that's the name of the publisher, Connor Court, C-O-N-N-O-R, Court Publishing. Simply Google that and uh, search for that book. It's called Fundamental Rights in the Age of COVID-19. Augusto Zimmerman, thank you so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with us today on 2020. Thank you very much, Neil. And uh, I would like to say to the people who are listening to us, to never lose the hope and that the people have a right to resist uh, oppression and to um, make sure that their rights and freedoms are fully restored. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.